America was already in a mental health crisis. Pepper in a little pandemic, throw in a little economic distress, throw in a ton of isolation and some racial tension. And you can imagine that that's not making the mental health crisis any better. It's making it worse, for sure, and, and some recent studies have shown that. I mean, listen to some of this. Nearly half of Americans report that the coronavirus crisis is harming the, their mental health, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll. A federal emergency hotline for people in emotional distress registered a more than 1,000% increase in April compared with the same time last year. Now, the really depressing thing about depression, when you start looking it up online to learn about the stats and all that, is that it's extremely depressing to be a millennial, which is the generation that I am part of. I'm almost 30, kind of right in the middle of it. And the first article, literally the first article that popped up on Google when I typed in depression, America depression stats was a article about millennials and how, you know, they're like the most depressed generation ever. And um, I just had to share this with you because I thought it was funny and also depressing that on this article on the right side of the screen where it has related articles uh, on this website, here are some of the headlines. I'm not making any of these up. So related headlines to millennials. Uh, millennials on track to be the most obese generation in history. Why millennials are losing their hair earlier. Millennials are rejecting primary care physicians. So we're fat, balding, and dumb, basically. So I was, you know, already depressed looking into the stats, and then I just realized that, you know, I am a part of the most depressed and depressing generation ever. So to all my millennial peers out there, uh, congratulations, all right? Now, all, all kidding aside, right? depression is serious. It is incredibly serious. And it can range from, you know, a few moments, a couple of days worth of just, you know, a lowered mood to chronic. Uh, months on end, recurring, cyclical nature of just darkness. And, you know, for some of you, Depression is, a, is, a, is an enemy that you know all too well. It's an enemy that lurks just around the corner every day in your life. Something you're all too familiar with. And for others of you, depression is something that you may say, I, I've never been depressed. Um, I've never struggled with depression. And the, the truth of the matter is this, is that you have. You have. It's it just you, you may not have let yourself acknowledge. And I know for me, that's the case. I mean, there are definitely times in the recent past and in, you know, over my life that I can look back and say, you know what, in the moment, I was too, uh, I, was, I was being too manly to let, even let myself know that I was dealing with depression. Maybe not clinical, but just... Um, you know, persistent sadness that wouldn't go away, and I couldn't necessarily point to what it was. But here's the reality. If you live in a fallen and broken world, which you do, then you're going to be pressed down. 
You're going to be depressed. Things are going to weigh on you, and, and it's going to harm you in negative ways. That's just a part of the reality of living as a sinner in a, in a world that's riddled with sin and fractured with sin. And, you know, as we continue our series, there's a psalm for that. This morning we're looking at depression, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 to see what it has to say, not only acknowledging that it's okay to experience depression, but how does it direct depression? What, what pointers, what help does it give to you when you are in depression, whether it's a mild case of it or whether it is chronic? So with this, as we look at Psalm 42, we're going to do it in three sections. All right, so we're going to look at it in the first section, permission for depression. The second section, experiences of depression. And then the third section, healing for depression. So permission, experiences, and healing. So first, permission for depression. The psalm is written by the sons of Korah is what verse 1 starts out by saying. And uh, 11 psalms uh, are said to have been written by the sons of Korah. Long story short, um, Korah was a bad dude. And he ended up getting killed for trying to revolt against Moses in the Old Testament. And ultimately, he was revolting not just against Moses, but against God, because Moses was the mouthpiece of God. So he got killed for that. Disgraced, bad dude. But his sons were uh, just marked by God's grace. One in that they were spared, that his lineage continued on, but they, they became, um, they, they had a, a very sp- a special and specific role in the temple and caring for the temple. And um, they, uh, they were good dudes, not bad dudes like their dad. And they, uh, they ended up writing these, these psalms and uh, some of these psalms that, you know, like we're going to see in Psalm 42, they, they really knew the depth of the difficulty of human life. And it, and, and it may have been because they saw their dad be a really bad dude. And they were just in touch with that. And yes, they were also really in touch with the kindness and grace and mercy of God. And that really shows. So, um, you know, when, when I was... Um, preparing for this sermon, I really wrestled with what, you know, what kind of depression was this psalm talking about? Was this psalm talking about, you know, situational depression or spiritual depression or clinical depression or some combination of all of them? And um, I reached out to a few of you in our church that are either mental health professionals or who um, have struggled with depression, just to get your insight and your thoughts, and it was very clarifying for me. And what I came to see is that uh, this psalm is talking definitely about situational depression, uh, definitely about spiritual depression, and likely clinical depression as well. And uh, before looking at all three of those, which is what I want to do in this first, this first section, is how we have permission for all three of those is to just draw your attention to verse 5. In verse 5, there is a phrase that gets repeated three times in this psalm. And it's the phrase, cast down. So listen to this in verse 5. 
This is the, the psalmist talking to himself, questioning himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Cast down. He's saying, I'm depressed. And he's asking himself, why am I depressed? Why are you depressed? Why are you, why is my soul in turmoil? Why, why on the inside, maybe on the outside I'm quiet and I'm subdued because I'm depressed, but on the inside it's just racket, it's loud. Why? And as I said in the very beginning, this is, this is the result, right, of living in a broken, fallen world. That our, our, our situations can be broken, our spirits can be broken, and even our physical brains and, and bodies can be broken. So I want to walk through these three kinds of depression as, they, as we get glimpses of them in this psalm. And how we see that we have permission for them. All right. So first, we have permission for spiritual depression, or sorry, situational depression, because our situations can be pressed down. Some of these uh, definitions that I'm going to give for the three of these uh, came from some conversations that I had with uh, one person in particular, Morgan Seek in our church, who is a mental health professional. So give her the credit where credit is due. But So um, situational depression is this. It's feeling hopeless or depressed about or as a result of a specific incident or life stressor. So it's exactly what it sounds like. You, you have difficult situation, poverty, loss, um, you know, anything like that. And uh, it causes you to be pressed down. And we see this pop up in verse 4 and then in verse 6 when the psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mazar. So what's he saying here? Well, for some unnamed reason, he's not home. He's not home in Jerusalem where the temple is, where he can worship with the assembled gathering of God's people, similar to our time right now. He is displaced. He's not with everybody else. And he's saying, you know, he remembers what it used to be like when he could worship with everyone together. He, and now he's having to remember that from Mount Mazar and Jordan, these places that aren't home for him. So there's this situation that's causing him to, um, to be pressed down. He says, you know, he says, my soul is cast down within me, and I'm remembering you from these random places that aren't home for me. So sometimes situations in your life can lead you to be cast down on the inside. And there is permission for that, right? Because we've got a son of Korah, a good dude, a, a person who loves God saying this. The second is this, permission for spiritual depression because our spirits can be pressed down. So spiritual depression would reflect feeling isolated from God or losing interest in being near or learning about God. And this can happen, you know, um, whether it's because um, there's something, you just, you're apathetic for whatever reason, or because maybe you feel like God is intentionally doing you harm. 
But the psalmist says in the very beginning of this psalm, in verse 1 and 2, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, honestly, up until this week, I've always read those verses in a really positive light of like, I should thirst for God. I should hunger after God. But now, reading this psalm a little bit closer and reading on to see how he repeatedly says that he is cast down and in turmoil, this is, this is the psalmist saying, I'm thirsting after God and my thirst is not getting quenched. I'm wanting to hear from God and I'm not hearing from him. I'm wanting to feel God's presence and I'm not feeling it. And that too can be a form of spiritual depression where you're trying to engage with God, but you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. I mean, how many times has that happened in your life? I know it's happened in mine where I'm reading my Bible and just nothing is happening. I'm going about my life and just it just feels like God is absent. Like he's not doing anything. So that's permission for spiritual depression. And then third is permission for clinical depression because our brains and our bodies can be pressed down. So clinical depression is, this definition is a little bit longer, but just want to clarify. Clinical depression is a diagnosable mental health disorder. Major symptoms are persistent, depressed mood and loss of interest in things that a person is usually interested in. Other symptoms can be sleeping or eating too little or too much, fatigue or restlessness, feeling guilty or hopeless or worthless or having difficulty concentrating and remembering things. And a person has to have a certain number of these symptoms for at least a two-week period to qualify for a diagnosis, diagnosis of depression. And it's, it's hard to tell, uh, but the psalmist could potentially be dealing with clinical depression because of things that he says, like in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God. Now, he may be being more poetic right here, or he may be being literal, that he is crying most of the day, every day. That, that, that his sorrow and grief is just that deep. And he's not eating. The only thing he's eating is the tears that are flowing down his face and into his mouth. So there's a good chance that the psalmist was dealing with some chronic depression. Um, now, even though we can't know that with certainty, what I do think we can know is that I don't think that this psalm is, is going to make room for spiritual depression and also situational depression without also making room for clinical depression, which sometimes is caused by spiritual things, sometimes caused by situational, and sometimes caused by biological things. I think it's definitely making room for this. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who was one of my heroes of the faith, was a, one of the greatest preachers of all time. He lived and did his ministry in the 1800s, and he suffered chronically with depression, with persistent sadness, you know, with, with darkness that does not lift. And there were a few reasons for this. One is he had some really uh, bad health issues. Um, one time, he was preaching and, and somebody yelled that there was a fire and they were joking and everybody left the building and I think like seven people died and he felt like it was his fault. I mean, there's just a 
a number of different things. Um, but he said this once in a sermon. He talked a lot about his depression. He talked a lot about it from the pulpit. And at one point he said this, my, just talking about one of the times he was depressed, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child. And yet I knew not what I wept for. So this is what I think we need to take away from this first section, that you can be Charles Spurgeon and be depressed. You can be a son of Korah, a godly man or woman, and be depressed. You can love Jesus, really, and be depressed. So you need to give yourself permission to be depressed, situationally, spiritually, clinically. The Bible is giving you room and space for this. You need to give yourself space for this. But also, you need to give other people the permission to love Jesus and be depressed. Sometimes it can be easy, if you're not depressed, to be really hard on those that are depressed. And I can just tell you right now that that is not the spirit of Jesus. He doesn't, bru- he doesn't break a bruised reed. So being, cast, you know, being a cast-down soul isn't going to be helped by denying having a cast-down soul or by denying that your friend has a cast-down soul. Now the second section, experiences of depression. What, what does depression you know, feel like? What does it do to you? And the psalmist gives us a number of different pictures and windows into what depression feels like to experience it. And I'm going to put it in three categories. Um, and they, what they all have in common is the experience of being alone, being isolated, being helpless and hopeless. So the first experience of depression is this, is being misunderstood by others. Twice in the psalm, it says that he is taunted by other people with this piercing question, where is your God? So what the psalmist is experiencing is in the, in the middle, in the depths of his depression, the only thing someone else is saying to him is a taunt, is mocking him, is rubbing his nose in the fact that whatever is causing his depression, whatever situation he's in in life, it doesn't look like God is helping him. No one is coming to his aid. Now, here's the reality is that what depression does is, I mean, sometimes this is all that you have in your life, is people that don't understand you and that won't empathize with you. That happens. But also, sometimes what depression does to you is it makes you only hear the bad or it makes you miss, it makes you interpret what other people are saying as bad because it, it, physically alters your brain. And so you end up feeling isolated from other people because whether they really are or whether you perceive that they are, you feel alone. You feel like no one understands. And sometimes it's because no one does understand. No one is willing to empathize with you. So you can be isolated from others. That's what depression does for you does for you. The second experience of depression is that 
you're frustrated by yourself. And we saw this in verse 5 with the phrase that gets repeated a few times in the psalm when the psalmist questions himself and says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's asking himself this. He's not asking his buddy, Why are you so sad? He's asking himself. He doesn't even know. He doesn't understand. That's the crazy thing about depression is so much of the time, it can just come out of nowhere. And you, you, you don't know what's causing it. And sometimes there isn't anything causing it. Sometimes you can just be afflicted with it. And there, is, there isn't really anything to point back to it. And, you know, it's almost like there's two of you. It's like there's the one of you that... that is cast down and feeling cast down and feeling pressed down. And then there's the other view that like knows that's more in tune with reality, is more in tune with the fact that God is good and he's for you and you're his. And yet there's the disconnection. You're isolated from your own self. You're not united with yourself. You're, you're fractured. And you ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? And you don't get an answer. You're frustrated with yourself. That's what depression does to us. And then the third experience of depression is that it makes you feel forgotten by God. So more than those other things, this is what depression will do to you. Make you feel forsaken from God. Listen to verse 9 when the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock. So he's addressing God and just point blank says this to him. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He, he straight up tells God, you forgot me. Why? You overlooked me. Why? You aren't doing anything about my situation. Why? At its heart, at its core, this is depression. The, the sense that you are completely helpless, hopeless, alone, worthless. Depression plays on those core beliefs that can get lodged deep inside of us. And despite what any counselor would tell you, despite what any friend would tell you, despite whatever Bible verse would tell you, you don't believe that. You can't believe that. Depression blocks you from hearing that and believing that. And so depression is like a cancer of the soul. And it can come on you suddenly. And so what are you supposed to do about it? Take medication? Yeah, sometimes. If a doctor prescribes it, yeah, you probably should. But is that enough? No. Therapy? Yes. Therapy is a, is a gift from God, a means of His grace. Is it enough? No. Exercise and eat right? Yes. But is that enough? No. Community? Should you do that? Yes. Is that enough? No. Is all those things together enough? No, none of those things can get to the, the deeper root issues of depression. 
Now, I'm not discrediting, you know, biological, you know, predispo- you know where you're predis- predisposed to uh, depression. I'm not discrediting that. But I do think that even in the midst of that, there's something deeper that needs to be addressed. Something deeper that only Jesus can reach into. So this is the third and final section of the sermon, healing for depression. Now, when I say healing for depression, I don't mean instantaneous, you're healed from depression. As long as you live in a broken world, your situations will be broken, your spirit will be broken, and your brain will be broken, all right? But healing in terms of the process by which God is putting us back together. What, what is that? How do we get that? Well, the verse that we've come back to a few times this morning, we're coming back to again. Verse 5 gives us the answer. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Not hope in yourself. Not hope in medication. Not hope in therapy. Not hope in community. Not hope in exercise. Hope in God. Why can you hope? Why does hoping in God bring healing? Well, first of all, hope Biblical hope is not a wish. This isn't wishful thinking. Biblical hope is assurance. Biblical hope is an anchor. It's a, it's, hope is what you build the foundation of your life on, what you put your hope in. And you can put your hope in money. You can put your hope in sex. You can put your hope in school, reputation, your kids, your job. I mean, you can put your hope in anything. That is what you are banking everything on. Hope in God. Why? Because the God of the Bible is a God of suffering. Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament foretold of a time when God would become man. And we know that that man is Jesus Christ. And and, and Isaiah 53 says that he would come as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Jesus was acquainted with grief because he bore the sin of the world on his shoulders. Jesus Christ became the most depressed person that there ever was or ever will be. He was the most cast down man that there ever has been or ever will be. And you know what cast him down? You know who cast him down? You know who was responsible for that? It wasn't just the world. It was you. You cast him down. It was the weight of your sin, the eternal punishment of your sin that he was absorbing in his body when he hung there on a cross. Hope in that God who is a man of sorrows and who's acquainted with grief. Not only because he can sympathize, though he can do that with your depression. He can say, I know that. 
I know what that's like. But because he entered into it and blew the back out of it, right? The thing that ultimately is the source of not only his depression, but your depression, your cast downness in life, sin, he took and wrestled it to death. He put death to death when he rose out of that grave, being the first fruits of the new creation, a new creation in which there is no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. This is why you should hope in God. This is why you can hope in God. And you see, all those, all those core beliefs that, that ultimately make you depressed, that rise up in spiritual scenarios, situ- you know, bad situations, and that clinical depression takes and just warps even more, those core be- beliefs that I'm worthless, I'm hopeless, I'm alone, only the gospel can take those identities and change them for good as a free gift without you lifting a finger and make them true of you regardless of what you do forever. That's what the cross and the resurrection do. They offer you new, a new identity because this is what the cross says. When you say, I'm worthless, the cross says, you are not worthless. The God of the universe whom you rejected, died for you. You are worthy because he has set his love on you. When you say, I'm hopeless, the the God of the Bible came to give you an inheritance, his inheritance, that is greater than anything you could ever imagine in this life. When you say, I'm alone, I'm separated from myself, I'm separated from other people, I'm separated from God. You're not alone. Because God came down in the form of a man, and then he resurrected and ascended into heaven and sent his spirit forth. So the very spirit of Jesus is with you. And if you don't know Jesus, the very spirit of Jesus can be with you. The spirit of joy, hope, life, love, and peace can be yours. You have a future, so hope in God. Hope in God because he he won't waste your depression. So just like fire refines gold, so fire refines you. Depression refines you. I think that received with the knowledge of God's sovereignty and His grace, you can receive depression as a severe mercy in your life. Because you know what depression does? On one hand, it fogs the lenses that you see life through. It clouds your mind and your judgment. But on the other hand, it clarifies. Because what does it do? It tells you all those other things that you could possibly hope in in life, money, power, success, all those things, it tells you they're not that important. They're not actually that fulfilling. And what it does is it, is it crushes you to where all you have at all is hope in God. And that's really all that we ever have in the first place. And God uses suffering. He uses trials and he uses depression 
to do that, to strip away all the things that we put our hope in that we have no business hoping in because they won't, they won't do what they say they'll do. So if and when you struggle with depression, receive it humbly as a gift from God to force you to hope in Him. Now, this is a fight. This is a struggle. This is not, this psalm doesn't tie up with a bow. At the end, he's still saying the same thing. Why are you cast down hope in God? We've got to say this to ourselves over and over and over again. But you know what we do? What happens when we do that over and over and over again? The grace of God, the presence of God, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the hope that's in front of you becomes more powerful and more real than you could ever believe in this moment. So hope in God when you feel like you have nothing to hope in. That is the only thing that could possibly bring real, deep, lasting healing to your depression.